This episode is sponsored by Autodesk. I'm super excited to talk to you guys about Autodesk because I've been using their programs ever since I was in college. So today's message is geared towards you college students out there. They have announced a 3DS Max and Maya for any users that recent graduates, freelancers, hobbyists, and 3D artists just starting out have a more affordable way to access Maya and 3ds max this is your chance to get a hold of the industry standard for 3d creation so go over there to make anything.autodesk.com forward slash me dash indie again that's make anything.autodesk.com forward slash me dash indie and go check them out for all those indie users, this is also available to you as well. This is a great opportunity to get into the game at a very affordable price. Go check them out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, Rika Yoshino. How are you doing, Rika? Or Ray? Yes, <laughs> go by Ray. Um, doing pretty well, thank you. Great. Uh, so before we dive deeper into the main meat of the topic of today, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I ask our guest, which is yourself, uh, a little bit about yourself, where you've been, where you're at, where you're heading, just to give a little brief overview for our listeners out there. Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Rika Yoshino, as Brandon said. Um, I sometimes go by Ray for um, to make it easier. Um, I am currently 28 and I am working at that game company as a 3D artist and sometimes as an art team manager. Um, I graduated from University of Pennsylvania in 2016 and then right after that I moved to the Bay Area to work on this game called Spy Party um, as a 3D environment artist and after a year and a half or so I moved down to LA to work for TGC and um, on Sky. Yeah, that that is a pretty impressive trajectory there. <laughs> so uh, we kind of had a brief conversation for so for listeners out there, they're not thinking that I'm I'm kind of guessing this, but you, you talked about how you're not an American and I'm were you coming from Japan? Like you're there's no accent in the way yeah. you speak, <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of so surprised by this. Yeah, some of my background, um, I was born in Japan. Uh, my parents are Chinese. Um, and then when I was 11, I moved to our family moved to Canada. So I'm actually Canadian um, and I left for the States. So I left for university when I was 18 and I haven't come back since. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Canadians very close enough, but we're, we're treated as an international employee slash student, whatever you are. Um, so there's an added layer of struggles that, you know, I'd be, excited to talk to you guys about yeah so i recently actually have a friend that uh did the reversal he's an american and went to canada mm -hmm. and sometimes balance between working in canada and united states still and there is like this 
I mean, he was recently telling me that he was kind of hit with this double tax standard uh, thing. Uh, would love to kind of hear a little bit about that uh, because there's all obviously really good companies in both and a lot of advantages to working in both countries. So can you kind of lay a little bit about the things that were surprising as you were kind of working in the yeah. American? Yeah. Yeah. So I've only worked in America, so um, I can't give you a comparison between what it's like to work in Canada versus here. Um, so I can tell you about the struggles that I've had as a student. Um, so when you are an international student, uh, you need to um, you need to have a visa or you're very restricted in what kind of job you can have, even as a student. If your college offers you like a work study, then you can. If you just wanna work off of campus, you can't do that. Um, and after graduation, um, or even as a student, actually during student, you get this, um, you get this thing called OPT. Um, I think it's it stands for, op- Actually, I, can't, I cannot tell you, uh, but you get a year worth of OPT, which you can use for internships and um, and you can use for uh, working after. Optional um, practical training for those who are. Yes. Yeah, Thank you. Go. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, you get a year and um, basically you can use that period period to find or spend on internships. If you don't want internships, you can save that until uh, after you graduate and you can work for a year on anything as long as you're employed. Um, And if you are a STEM major, you get an extra or you can apply for an extra 17 months of extension. Um, I don't know if my knowledge is outdated, but I think I'm pretty sure. But um, you get a total of 29 months of OPT if you apply for this extension. And this is usually what allows STEM students to, um, STEM majors to have multiple uh, rounds of visa lotteries. Um, So it's a little bit more cushion for um, students like that. Um, Unfortunately, what I did did not count for STEM. Um, So I had, um, I spent three months on a internship and then after graduation I had nine months left so um, uh, after graduating um, you have about you have about two three months of grace period to to start working Um, and I didn't have a job lined up during my college days so I started job hunting after I graduated and fortunately found spy party um about two months in and started working and i had nine months of opt to just work for them and after that there's a visa process that um you have to start looking into uh fortunately canadians and mexicans have this visa called tn visa uh, which is part of the nafta treaty um it's a single intent visa which means you have to declare that you're not um you don't have an intention of moving to the States. So, um, which is very different than most of the typical visa that most uh, international students pursue and non-Canadians and non-Mexicans pursue called the H-1B. That's like a once a year lottery. Um, and because it is once a year and it's you, you have maybe about 30 to 50% chance of getting it depending on your degree and your circumstances, um, 
So that's why, you know, as I mentioned earlier, having that STEM extension of extra 17 months will allow you to kind of have an extra jab at the H-1B um, visa if your company does sponsor. But um, yeah, a lot of the international employees and developers are kind of restricted by uh, visas um, from what I know. And um, it's, it's an extra hurdle to kind of jump over uh, the restrictions on all ends. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm here now and, you know, um, I enjoy what I do. So I'm glad that, you know, even though it was a challenge, um, I'm excited to be doing what I'm doing right now, fortunately. Yeah, I mean, challenges are, um, is to put it kind of lightly. Like I, I know with working with a lot of international colleagues that um, there is an extra layer of appreciation going through that process that I think local United States developers uh, often underappreciate. <laughs> They're complaining about their bosses and that's like, you know how hard it is to work in this country and, and have these kind of benefits that you guys kind of take for granted, right? I, I always get that feeling and reminder when talking to my international colleagues. Um, but yeah, so something as adjacent as Mexico or Canada, uh, it, it still is like a lot of, I think still, you know, better, lower barrier of entry than, than as if you were, you know, outside of North America. Uh, but yes. like, there is still like a huge resistance, well, somewhat of a resistance to, to just hop over the fence and, and work freely. Right. Uh, so what you were saying about temporary stay and with intent of not moving here is, so yes. what? What exactly? So the, the idea is to let you work here, but definitely both sides agree that you cannot move here permanently. You how, can't how, apply for a green card. That's what I it see. Means. I mean, you could, but you don't want to get caught, <laughs> which which is not something I want to get into. I don't. I, yes. Um, don't listen to this advice. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when it means single intent, you, you know, if you're caught applying for a green card while you're on this visa, you probably will get your, you know, TN privilege revoked or something. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're on the H-1B, which is the visa I mentioned earlier, which is the lottery-based um, visa, uh, that's a dual intent visa. So you are welcome to apply for a green card um, while you're on that visa. So there's a big difference. Uh, there, there are a lot of differences between different visas. Uh, TN also does have more restrictions in a way where it has a list of profession that qualifies for a TN, which is a limited set. Um, and that profession also has to match with your academic degree. So um, I have a fine arts degree. Um, and if I decide that I want to suddenly become an engineer, it probably will not let me because it doesn't match my degree. Um, so, you know, there are restrictions on that front. I'm sure H1B also has theirs. And um, they would actually bar you from that job, or that job would not qualify. Like, what? What exactly is the restriction there? Uh, yeah. So, um, you need to. It's this visa kind of states that you already are like a. You know, it's like you're a special talent and you already know what you're doing. Therefore, you yeah. get to work um, on this visa in this country. Uh, so, you know, without a degree in um, 
the position that I will be like working for, uh, they probably just don't trust you that, you know, unless you already have extensive experience working as, um, let's say, for example, if I work in Canada as an engineer for five years, even though I don't have an engineering degree, then I might qualify for this visa. But um, if I don't have prior experience as an engineer and I want to become an engineer on this visa, it probably, the government will not let me. Jeez, it's a lot of a. So your profession is also kind of restricted too, which is. This is a lot of thinking, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that. that, I think that experience just, uh, in turn, just makes the international game dev uh, work harder than most. I think with every challenge, it actually makes you stronger. And I, I clearly see it's like, oh, wow, man, you're, you're spending way more hours than I am. Why is that? It's like, well, I get kicked out of the country uh, if this and that happens, you know, or, or whatever. And you really learn to appreciate like what we got here, um, which I feel within the United States and even Canada is a lot more blessed than other scenarios in other yes. countries. So for, sure, for sure. For sure. Um, so. As you are moving up, as you are, you know, graduating from school and, and landing that first gig and, and finally coming to that game company. I mean, this is a very short span of years <laughs> of, of uh, you know, finally becoming an art manager at a well-established studio as well. Like, can you kind of give us a little insight of, you know, did you come to that game company as a 3D art environment artist, 3D artist? Uh, and what, what project was it that was, it, was it the same project as you're doing now sky or was it something else before then? Yeah, of course. Love to talk about that. Um, so I'm going to rewind the story to back to college again. Um, when I was still a student, I was, I think I was set on going into animation as a 3d artist. I don't, you know, I haven't played games growing up. Um, I didn't know anything about it, so I never really thought about it until senior year. Um, I decided to play Journey um, on my friend's PS3. <laughs> and um, that that experience moved me so much that after I left my friend's apartment, I decided that I'm going into games. I'm going into interactive media, um, and I want to create environments that people could explore. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like an overnight thing where I decided to change my career trajectory very late into my, um, in my academic career and, you know, that game company and their titles have had a special place in my heart since then. Um, so, you know, I thought, you know, someday if I can work, um, for this vision, under this vision, um, it would be great. So I'll build up my career and maybe in my late thirties, I'll get to work uh, for that game company. Um, you know, back then when I was still a student, like they weren't really hiring anyone. In fact, they were only maybe looking for engineers when they had positions available. Um, but you know, that's kind of how I looked up to them, um, when I was still, you know, in my my early twenties and after, um, you know, after graduating, um, I didn't really have a long network uh, because my school, um, University of Pennsylvania is known for fortune in its business school and our fine arts department. We, we don't really have anyone um, that works in 
the CG industry, animation, or um, games, or you know, VFX, etc. So I ended up just cold emailing hundreds of companies in the Bay Area, and I found myself a mentor, and that kind of led to one thing another, um, and then I ended up at Spy Party and worked for Chris Hacker. So he's also another mentor figure of mine in my life. Um, I don't know if he knows, but I consider him um, a big mentor figure. And um, he, you know, I, I said, hey, like, you know, I've been here for a little over a year. Um, I don't think San Francisco is working out for me. Um, I didn't really like the tech mentality in, um, in the Bay Area. I wanted to create something that moves people. I wanted to create uh, work on projects that were, you know, that were, that could be summed up by just like, it's an experience, right? Um, I was not interested in the tech scene with, you know, big paychecks and kind of solving, I don't, this is gonna, maybe not sound great, but I was not interested in solving problems for the minority of the world. I wanted to create something that could be experienced by anyone, regardless of where you are in life. Um, and I thought I needed to get out. So I said, hey, Chris, um, maybe I'm looking to move out of San Francisco. Maybe it's Los Angeles. And that game company is in Los Angeles. Do you have any contact that you could inter you know, introduce me to? Um, and he forwarded my stuff to Genova um, and things just kind of happened from there. So I'm currently working at my dream studio as my dream, you know, with my dream role. So yeah, it is, a, as you said, it is a very short journey here, um, but it is definitely very different uh, being on the other side of things. And, you know, I get to see a glimpse of, you know, what might've happened um, behind the scenes for, you know, my favorite game ever. Um, so, you know, that's interesting and the, our vision hasn't really changed. Um, and it's really, really cool to see a studio that's trying to, um, make a path for, uh, you know, games that haven't been made before, you know, a games about humanity and altruism and, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, a preceding success story. I think we're trying to create that. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, and in terms of art management, I, I found out that, you know, um, perhaps I'm more organized and communicative than I thought. You know, I love people. I love talking to them. I love making sure that, you know, everyone's on the same page. Everyone's happy. Um, and I kind of took it upon myself to kind of start managing and organizing things, speaking up during meetings, um, speaking up about difficult topics. And I ended up finding myself here. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you, you completely engineered your, your career path from day one. So 
the, the very same way you found the that the that game company journey being impactful in your life and and and, and switching career and uh, although yes working in tech companies a lot of my friends have transitioned to tech companies for the very reason that you stated you're in a higher salary uh somewhat more stable ish right but the, the main thing is that the excitement is not the same it's uh rather much more dull uh overall maybe but, i'll end up there someday but, <laughs> i know um, when we're older <laughs> <laughs> when we can't you know be as creative as much yeah i mean it is great nowadays to have that many choices as a game developer where it used to be either triple a and then that suddenly became triple a or indie and now there's mobile and now there's double a you know mid-level companies like there's a lot more choices now and i'm excited for everyone uh but I think that that willpower to kind of bring you to where you are is one of those things that I have to constantly remind listeners and everybody is like, it's just being focused. Like you, you, uh, you took the initiative, right. To ask about contacts and, and made it happen, uh, when you wanted to that, that transition though, from, I'm sure you're still in there doing art, but not as much as it used to, um, have always been um, as recently as last week or the week before I was kind of talking about it is one of those necessary jumps uh, in terms of acquiring more responsibility uh, but however you're kind of like you know it's a push and pull type of thing where you're kind of giving up though the main reason why you went into the games in the first place is to create these worlds and and for for people to experience and now you're kind of playing as the like, the puppeteer <laughs> of making this thing happen yeah. are you kind of consolidating into that role obviously where you're you're seeing you you're being helpful in other ways uh than directly contributing to to every polygon um so that's an interesting question so um kind of my thinking behind this was that you know my dream someday is to become an art director and you know, I've maybe worked for a little under five years, almost five years. Um, and in terms of experience, there's just so much more for me to learn before, you know, I ever reach that stage. And, um, you know, one way to grow, it's, it's one thing to grow as an artist, but it's another thing to grow as a leader. Um, you know, I love creating art, I love creating things, but um, I also think, uh, important skill set for an art director is people skills, right? Um, not just, you know, leading people through their artwork, but also being the person, being a mentor to um, the newer generation or the younger artists, um, being not just an art director, but like a mentor figure where people can trust you in your leadership. Um, and that's, you know, I never thought I'll kind of dabble in production, but um, it was kind of a way for me to, you know, learn from the leadership in in my current studio and also kind of contribute to my team in um, a different way besides just polygons. So uh, that was kind of my thinking when I kind of, you know, took, took this uh, role, took this task upon myself. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, things that I always like to talk about 
um, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. So all types of people, all types of color, male, female have been through here. And I always like to ask if their experience they found is a little bit unique. So being a female in the industry, I think it's changing, but it's still very much a male dominated industry. And I think maybe somehow you kind of dodge this bullet of, of uh, any sexism or any of that, because I think that game company is probably a well-balanced, pretty good studio <laughs> to start with. But as you're going through this and maybe through your network, um, is there anything there that you can relate to uh, and share about your own experience as a female being in this male-dominated industry? Um, or even just your general experience of being just basically positive. I, I think all this is going to help inform listeners out there of like a better general consensus of like, you know, is there something to this? Is there not? Because I've heard stories. I've talked to colleagues that mind are women and there's naturally things that happen <laughs> in meetings where it's like unconscious most of the time, but noticeable. <laughs> uh, I just, I guess I'll just throw it out there and we can move on after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've read and heard a lot about things about being a woman in game dev, especially in the early days. And, you know, I would have to say it's definitely much better now. I think there's a lot more that the industry could improve on. Um, I also kind of entered, I was also very naive when I entered the industry and, you know, I thought it's like, oh, these things, I'll just, it won't happen to me. Or even if it does, I will, you know, just kind of navigate my way around it. Um, unfortunately, it does, it does happen. Um, and it is not easy to navigate around it. Sometimes you just have to, you know, rely on your resources and your coworkers to make sure that you also feel safe um, and you're comfortable. Um, but you know, the really cool thing about that game company is that we have a lot of we have a lot of women on our team now. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really, really exciting to um, see people like you, people that think like you, people that act like you, people that look like you just, you know, kicking butt at their job. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, even though it's easy to say that like it doesn't you know gender doesn't really matter um and you still you could still learn from um other mentors um and leaders in the studio it's it's a little different when you're in when you're experienced and um your life doesn't exactly match up with um someone that you want to learn from uh, because the advice is not always applicable you know this um i'm sure there different sets of difficulties. I don't know if one has more than the other, but it is true that, you know, as a woman, you, you do face um, a lot of un, un, probably like subconscious bias and um, treatment. Um, and, you know, as you said, like in meetings that like you can, you can definitely tell that like sometimes when you're the only woman in a meeting, um, they probably, everyone else, might not feel it, but you definitely feel like, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable here. Or, um, you know, there was um, one one tiny um, incident where, you know, we used to have this thing called where we, uh, where 
fancy clothes on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and um, back then we only had about like four or five women in a studio of 25 ish. Um, and, you know, I think it was, I dressed up, I th I'm not sure if any other woman dressed up, but they were taking a group photo. Um, and I was just not comfortable being in a group of a dozen dressed up fancy men and I'm the only woman in there. I don't know what was what that message would send out um, if that photo got out into social media. So those are the kind of things that like kind of tug out the back of my mind, um, you know, even though there are no ill intentions involved in anyone with anyone. Um, so, you know, it is it is very interesting. It's tricky. And I think you know, just have to make sure that you understand um, as a woman, I understand my, you know, my boundaries and comfort zone and um, understand that you do have people around you that will be supportive of you and they'll trust you and believe you. Um, so, you know, you're, you're not alone. Um, and I think because, um, I guess because I still have those difficulties sometimes, like it would be nice that if, if I could, you know, become a figure for someone in the future to kind of feel safe or be like a safe, safe place for them. Yeah, I, I completely uh, understand. Like, uh, because when whenever you're at a company, you're always trying to immediately look for someone that's similar because there's that instant connection and that, that instant support, right? and uh, race, gender, that helps with uh, the, the advancement, at least motivation to advance in the hierarchy, right? Because you can see that it's possible. And uh, that comfort alone is, is, is just rewarding in itself to, to know that there's someone else uh, like you there at a group setting. Every time I work at a company, there's always, you know, the male always, outnumber the women. Uh, the only time that I felt like it was close, not completely 50-50, was when I was working on a mobile in studio, like a tech company, right? So tech companies are a little different from game studios. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot of women here, right? Completely new to me. But like whenever I worked at those studios with very few women, I was like, man, these, these women, I feel bad because there's so much unwanted advances, so much like just the sky swarming around uh, that uh and uh it's just a lot of pressure i think on top of the actual pressures of performing well at the job right so i do i do agree that things are getting better and i feel like the smaller companies just tend to have a better ratio uh and i at least kind of see AAA companies slowly getting better right but you know like a, a major beast uh it, it takes a little longer right to move things in the right direction change so, happens over time it won't happen overnight so right right i think we'll we'll get there i think we just all have to keep working towards it yes yes yeah. but uh yeah i'm glad you know you're you're in the position that you are and you move past all those uh <laughs> advances right and 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 in a great place right now uh, in, a, in a leadership position at a very great company um, and being as young as you are too. I mean, you're, you're, that's a trifecta right there. So like, I think when I first became in a leadership position or even when I switched to a new job, right? 
there's always that sense of imposter syndrome and and that 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 kind of eats up uh from the reality of things right did you have did you kind of go through that phase being such a young developer as well as uh a female and all these things that you feel on paper should work against you but clearly have not it's all like internal thoughts in a lot of the cases did you feel uh i mean what, what was that change like to to finally kind of be at your dream studio and, and kind of leading a department um I think there are two different parts of me that think differently, right? I think imposter syndrome is something that just doesn't go away. Um, and, you know, I think I think that's maybe what every game dev or artists, creatives um, suffer from, you know, because there's always someone better. There's always, you know, you're just so critical of your work. Um, but I think... You know, if you kind of flip that, you kind of need to understand that because you can critique your work, um, it's just that your eyes are getting better. Your perception of art and this thing is getting better. So it just means that, you know, you just have to now raise your skills and then um, it's just a rinse and repeat. But also at the same time, um, you know, I there's a core part of me that I understand where, you know, the reason why. I'm not always happy or I'm, I have an imposter syndrome is because I want, there's so much I want to learn. And I know that there's a lot that I haven't learned. So I know that there's a, you know, part of me that's like passionate and driven. Um, and, you know, even though I feel one way, I also do understand that like, you know, having that drive is also a unique thing about me, right? That's what makes me special. And that's what makes me continue growing, continue learning. Um, and, you know, you kind of live in this duality of, you know, conflicting feelings. Um, but, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if it's gonna sound, uh, it's not gonna sound reassuring because I think you will probably feel this way um, no matter what you do as long as you want to keep getting better and keep growing um you know i do also think like oh i don't have enough years of experience to you know like am i really you know can people really trust me to do this but you know at the end of the day it's like i care and i'm learning and i i'm open to um you know constructive criticism and feedback um, I think when you stop growing as a person and when you stop having this fear that you're just, you know, if you start feeling that like you're just good enough and you don't have to do anything else, that's it's like you might feel fine. But I think that's kind of when you when you stop being an artist, when you stop being um, someone who wants to make things um, and you lose that drive. Right. And, you know, it's. It's really, really interesting. And I think I, I'm trying my best to just focus on the fact that like, I want to get better. And because I'm still passionate, I'm still, you know, I'm young and there's so much more that I can accomplish. And if I kind of start thinking about it like that, it's, it becomes a little more, more positive and you kind of stop thinking about the imposter syndrome aspect of um, working as a game dev. <laughs> yeah, I think that internal conflict is always healthy. Uh, that means there's a lot more room to growth and humility uh, to grow. Um, 
you're clearly qualified so <laughs> i wouldn't uh yeah i worry about it as much uh i think uh if anything i would love to kind of talk about the you know we've had cecil on this even had eric on this at the very beginning before the launch of the game and now uh ever since you know, the game has crossed a, a major milestone right 100 million downloads which is insane uh because i think it was one of the first i would say big major release on a phone right uh you guys made like this crazy shift um double down on on phone being like the future and now slowly it's it's looking to release on on the console on the switch right so yeah. we'd love to kind of give some uh it get some insight from you about that 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 journey of uh <laughs> from mobile to now like what somewhat you know surprising somewhat not surprising was this always part of the game plan uh for growth for the game yeah of course um so i actually joined that game company slash sky um, right before they went out to beta um, or um, yeah, right before beta. So it was relatively early on um, the game back then was nothing like what, what it is today. Um, and, you know, when I joined, they just kind of, uh, you know, shared the news with the world about what kind of game they were working on. Um, and, you know, I came in not really knowing that it was a mobile title uh, because all their previous ones have been consoles. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to work on consoles. Uh, and, you know, I think at first I was a little confused, but um, but the first thing I did when I, you know, when I started working was I just, I played the game and I asked a lot of questions. Um, and one of those questions that I asked different people around you know in the studio was that why why is it mobile and why are you know what what are your thoughts on it um and ultimately i think i kind of came around and understood where they're coming from um and the main reason was being you know um we want to create something that could be played by anyone that has a big reach and um phones just happen to be a device that a lot of people own, right? And, um, you know, not everyone has access to phones and tablets, but um, there's definitely more people that own phones than they do a PlayStation um, or an Xbox or even a PC, right? So, um, you know, I thought about it and, you know, if there is a game that I could play with my mom or dad who don't play games ever, um, phones would be the only way to play with them. And, you know, when I started thinking about my family, that's when I was kind of convinced that mobile might be a really interesting way to go about this. Um, and I know we did hear a lot of feedback from fans and um supporters, um, people that were interested in this game that they wanted on a different platform. Why does it have to be on mobile? Um, but our studio kind of stood by our beliefs that like games could be for everyone and should be for everyone. Um, so, you know, it's been on mobile, but I don't think I think of this as like a mobile game. Um, it's just mobile just happens to be a means to an end. Um, and 
you know, with Switch. Um, I think Switch is just like the, a wonderful console to have released on um, after the mobile um, because it's so portable and um, I feel like they're they're relatively family friendly too. Um, it's 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 a console, but it also does feel like a phone in a way. It's just I think the portability probably um, kind of contributes to that. And um, our entire team is so excited. They've done such a wonderful job on making this come true. Um, everyone's been you know crunching to get this done, and it's kind of finally done. Um, and you know, now we get to kind of see our game on a full screen TV. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, our platform choices aren't exactly, I mean, we do have to think about the platforms, but like it's, it's coming from a standpoint of like, how can we connect people? How can we connect as many people, friends, family together, rather than um, which console has the most audience or which console it's best suited for? Um, so in that way, I, you know, everything feels very, very natural to me. Um, and I think, I think we did a good thing that it's mobile. Like, I think we maybe have created something, um, created a space on mobile where people can kind of find different kind of entertainment and enjoyment, um, out of what they can do, especially in, you know, hard times, like during, during COVID pandemic so um yeah well uh i mean we're 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 in that kind of weird phase right now not weird but exciting phase where we're transitioning out of the pandemic right uh i can see that you're still at home a lot of remote people are slowly crawling their way back in the office some studios are doing the hybrid thing some studios are uh completely leaving it up uh, to the to to the artist or developer, whether they want to do it full time at home or or not. Um, at the same time, you know we <laughs> the pandemic launched two new consoles, right? There's a lot of exciting things that are happening with all types of engines and upgrades. Uh, without having, you know, I don't want you to prematurely announce anything, but I, what what are your general thoughts of this? transitional phase is that game company still remote like is are you guys still hybrid what's the what's the consensus for the next year okay for for the foreseeable time um wow um it's a pretty long time um and i think because america might be like one of the few countries that's finally opening up but you know the rest of the world is not necessarily you know fully open um so that's kind of interesting to see what games kind of offer um, you know, for those, for those countries and players in that country. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have a love hate relationship with working from home. I think if, you know, maybe the one great thing that comes out of this pandemic is for companies to be flexible about having a hybrid, a hybrid, you know, system, that would be a beautiful thing for me. But, um, I like working in the office. I love seeing people and I want to collaborate with them. And I think especially when you create artwork, um, it's much easier and much more productive to do it in person. Um, you don't have to go through the typing and communicating. It's really hard to communicate visuals and feelings over over text sometimes, right? It's just much easier to see it in person. 
Um, but when I'm wearing a producer hat, it's much easier to just work from home, just take meetings and heads down and get get um, stuff out of the way. Um, and, you know, that's probably why I prefer a hybrid structure. But um, I think everyone feels differently. And um, I hope, you know, companies do kind of recognize that even if people do work from home, we still get our stuff done. And people will be bored out of their minds if if we don't do anything so we'll we will be working and we will be responsible but i think the companies have kind of understood that um that is the case and people make it work so um yeah i can't really speak on behalf of that game company but that's my personal feelings about working from home and pandemic yeah uh, i think uh, a lot of developers now are uh there's a good mix, but I think most developers are still in that traditional development cycle of like, here's the pre-production, here's the release date, right? So with, with Sky, you guys went to the game as a service uh, model. I would love to kind of hear that type of production cycle and how it differs from your previous experiences. Like what made it unique, what made it I would say assurable. It's the more of the mobile side of thing. It's like, we're making money. We're kind of okay. <laughs> we don't have to pray in three years that when this game releases a hit, it's a hit. So everything we do now is an extra boost of strength, right? Would love to kind of hear your thoughts about the, the difference that you're seeing as you're managing this project and as you're kind of seeing the growth. Yeah, um, this is an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it. Um, it's also the first live product that I have worked on. Um, I don't know when we launched, we were going to succeed or not, right? I think the entire team was, um, you know, we were like, maybe this entire team will disband. I don't know if it got there, but I definitely had kind of thoughts about like, oh no, what's gonna happen? Yeah. Um, but, you know, now that it is successful and now that we have to, you know, we're expanding like crazy, um, we're, we're hiring um, and, um, you know, we have, you know, we have to make the product afloat, but we also have to keep the team afloat. And that's been really interesting. It's just really interesting to see kind of um, a studio and a project go from, is this going to be okay to oh my God, we have all these plans lined up um, all within uh, two years of launching, right? So, um, you know, I think as someone who is kind of involved in production, um, you are seeing a tiny indie studio where everyone's wearing multiple hats to a studio, a mid-sized studio that needs structure and you know, hierarchy. And I think introducing that could be very tricky. Um, but you want people's voices, everyone's voices to be heard. But when you have hierarchy, when you have structure, some of those things will get lost. People will not know what's happening throughout the entire studio. We, you know, we would start becoming specialized. Um, and, you know, I think we're still in the middle of that. So I can't really say how, um, you know, I, I can't say if it's working or not working. Um, you know, we were like a, we're in our little, you know, teenager phase of a company, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
and that it's it's a first for me as well um because i've been interested in indie since graduating and i've um i think that's where the cool cool things do happen um interesting ideas get experimented on it's not you know we're not trying to do like a cookie cutter um cutter game and at the same time huge risks come along with that too so you know i think now we're kind of having to transition into not to say a cookie cutter but making sure that everything works and we have a structure while trying to keep that spirit of um what's something interesting what's something new that we can do what's something um that can, what's something that we can make that can still continue to move people, not just um, end up being like a daily chore or something. Yeah, I think being part of something uh, at the early stages, you know, before the, I don't know if the succeed and, and, and being a part of that ride of like, we're crazy successful. It's such a rare time to be at a studio uh, and in a project, right? It, it's such a rare thing. And when you do kind of, uh, experience it that it's uh, it's going to be transformative in, in a huge way. You know, the, for the company to grow, for the project to get better, you know, things have to grow. And uh, yeah, it, it's a crazy ride, <laughs> I think, in all because you're kind of finding yourself maturing as a manager, right? You're you're managing a lot more people, which means you have less and more hands time, hands on time on the project itself. Um, and uh, I don't think that gets talked about enough because I think a lot of people have been on successful projects before, but it's like, you know, you're working on the sequel, right? So you, you're not part of that small group that made it happen. It's kind of like you're already a sure success, right? So I, yeah, even myself, I haven't really been part of a small team than it became a hit before. It's more yeah. like I've been on on successful sequels or something. I don't know if that even hit me yet. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty rare. That's really <laughs> rare to be part of the uh, the rocket, basically, of uh, oh. the first rocket. Yeah. So, um, just to give an idea of what, what was so when you joined the team, how big was the team? Uh, to it was now about twenty. Okay. Twenty. Um, I think right now maybe we're maybe a size of 60 to 70, including contractors. We just have new people joining every day now, which is really exciting. I don't know their faces. I don't know their voices. I cannot wait to meet them. Yeah. Um, but it just wait till great. they ask you, like, are you new here? It's like, what? <laughs> I've been here <laughs> since <Yeah>. the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah. And maybe like an interesting um, bit of information is that if you go on the Back Game Company website, um, and you check out the team, we sometimes have caricatures of our, you know, our full-time employees. And it's actually listed in the order of when we first started oh, working. Cool. Oh, so nice. it's really interesting because when I first started, it was, I was at the rock bottom and I was like, look at all these people, cool people that I'm working with. And, you know, now that people have like come and go, um, it is a little terrifying that I am, you know, one of the earlier members now too, um, yeah. especially at, you know, at that game company, it's, it's a little surreal. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the person now that when you enter the, the coffee room, everyone's just shush. It's like, wait, you guys no, talking no, about no. me? <laughs> <laughs> you're the manager now. It's like, shush, shush. <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. In that sense, no, but there's, there's no hierarchy in, in that. We're all very, 
you know, we all respect each other, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, I, at least I can only tell you about the art team, but um, the art team is, our art team is. Yeah, our team is usually pretty cool. <laughs> engineering team. Everyone else is also <laughs> okay. pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. But, well, yeah. that sounds great. Uh, I think uh, the last question I really have for you is that, um, you know, everyone's obviously looking forward to it to any future updates with the game itself to the, the release on Nintendo switch. I think it would be huge. Uh, are we, I guess can't really reveal anything. What's next, but like, you know, you're on this trajectory of eventually wanting to be an art director of your own project. Right. And I think we're all looking forward to, to seeing what that is. Um, I know you talked about this before saying that you have a lot more to learn, but I'm going to ask really how much more, like what are we talking about here? What, what threshold do you have to cross before you feel pretty confident to march know, into Genova's office? Really? And it's like, <laughs> I want <laughs> to art direct. <laughs> like how far um, are we? Like what, what are the, what are the uh, goals that you have to hit before you feel like I can take something on? Um, you know, I think, Maybe, maybe what it is is, you know, I have, um, I'm, I'm still in the middle of forming my beliefs of what I want to make, right? Like right now, I still feel like I'm piggybacking on this game that have inspired me and changed my life. Um, and if someday I'll, you know, if I get to form um, a strong, like solid belief of what I think games should be like and um, what interactive piece should be like and being able to stand my ground and have the art skills to back it up that's probably when you know when I would start feeling confident I think about you know what I've done and how I feel um and I think that's a pretty difficult place to be because um to kind of to stand up for your beliefs and kind of be able to back it up. Um, that's hard to do even when it's not just a creative piece, just, just any little thing in life. Um, I think it's, it's hard, right? Um, yeah, trying to live your life the way you want it to is also really difficult. And I think um, that smaller, a smaller version of that is just, um, trying to, you know, trying to create what you want without, um, compromising too much. Um, and I think, you know, like that's that thin line, like that, the fine line between, you know, being a dictator versus like a good leader is also, um, that's difficult, I think. And, um, I think, you know, with, when it comes to people, um, I think you can never stop learning. It's just going to be just so much. And um, I don't think I'll ever stop feeling like I have so much more to learn. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. think it's uh, a lot of weird people. That's what I say. Uh, so there's a lot to learn <laughs> from these it people. A lot to, yeah. But, and learning their kinks, their, their, what upsets them, what makes them happy. And it's a constant mm -hmm. a juggling as a man, everyone so. really is different. Yeah. And for you to be successful is to kind of balance that, those differences and still, you know, aim high and, and get the project complete. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's going to be a never ending journey. Yeah. 
when it comes to that. Um, but you know, we made it through an hour. Uh, so that's a oh, journey nice. in itself. <laughs> and I want to thank you for your time and coming back since G-Ducks basically, uh, to kind of go a little deeper, uh, because last time he still kind of, you know, he talks a lot, right? He kind of steals the spotlight. <laughs> so it's great, great to kind of, <laughs> it's kind of good to talk to you, Ray, uh, about your story and learn about, you know, uh, specifics about your own career path. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where I actually shut up and give you the mic to kind of give the listeners out there awareness, anything that you want to talk about, any cause that you want to give attention to, uh, any website, any Twitter handle that you uh, are, are comfortable giving so that people can find you. Uh, this is the chance to to kind of share that information. Oh, of course. I mean, that's a lot. Um, but I'll just start off with if anyone does want to um, talk to me or reach out to me directly, you can find me on Instagram or uh, Twitter at Heartbreaka, with the Reka part being my name at the end. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, there's not much that I can give to like veterans in the industry, but especially for um, younger developers, I would love to be your help and, you know, finding people um, and finding connections is really, really difficult. So, um, you know, if any struggling artists or developers are out there and that you want someone to talk to, I am, I'm here. So feel, please feel free to reach out and I'd love to be support if I could. Uh oh, don't say that. Everyone's going <laughs> to raid your inboxes now. <laughs> you said you would. Uh, I'm also, I, uh, yeah, I'm also really bad at responding to messages. So if, you uh, know, good, if any good. of these DMs are, you know, more specific than if, if it's more craft, if the messages are crafted in a way that I can easily answer instead of like, hey, just can I get some help? Like, yeah. what, what do you need help with? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, my experience is also limited. And, you know, if anyone, that wants to give me advice, like, please, um, I would love to hear from you. Oh, now, now you're opening yeah. back up. You, you patched that hole. You kind of dug just saying like, I don't get back to you. That's quick. Now you're opening it up. Again. All right. So before we uh, bombard your e inboxes with questions, I, I want to, again, thank you for spending the hour uh, with us and then sharing your story as always super educational. I've learned a lot as well uh, as our listeners. Uh, but that's pretty much it, guys. Thank you for joining this week, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. 
Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody